Man, I love, I love being here on Sunday mornings with you guys. I love our, our, our space here. Um, we've got uh, a couple announcements this morning, and then we're going to dig into the Word, dig into our, our series. Um, I do want to mention this. Our, uh, our on-ramp to all things Four Corners. So if you're new here to the church, uh, or you've been coming for a little while, and, and you're going, hey, how do, I, how do I get in on more than just the Sunday morning? I know that there's more going on here. There's like people in the room, and I don't know them all, but there's more here. Like that's, there, this is just, it's right here. There's a, there's a deep well. There's a lot underneath the surface here. So that on-ramp is, is what's called next steps. It's uh, the next two Sundays, starting this morning and then next Sunday, right after service, 45 minutes long, you just learn basically the guts of our church, kind of where we came from, who we are, our unique expression here in the city of how God's made us, and uh, what we believe he wants to do through this part of the body of Christ. So I encourage you to do that. You're invited. If you've not done next steps, um, immediately following the service, 45 minutes, it includes child care if you need it, and also lunch, and you probably will need that. So it includes that. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, you're invited. Some of you guys have already uh, RSVP'd for that, uh, but if you haven't, that's okay. There's still space for you, and I want to make you aware of that. Uh, all right, we are um, we're in the middle of a series. It's a long series, but I love it. I love it because I made it up, all right? And it's called From Tent to Table, and it is working through the values of our church. And just like I said, the unique expression of how God has made us. The idea there is we're moving from God's uh, presence into his purpose. And the, the tent or the tabernacle, the understanding of that, we get that in the Old Testament scriptures. The way God revealed, the way God revealed himself to his people was anytime we see the tabernacle or we see the tent, we understand that as God's presence. And so if you were to be in God's presence, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you would go to the tent. So they built that tent or they built that tabernacle. It was portable. It's basically portable church. All right, those of you that have been with us since the early days, we're not that old, but since the early days, it's basically portable church. And they did that in the desert, the children of Israel, after they had left Egypt. They're in the, they're in the wilderness and God gives them plans and this is what it looks like to be in my presence. And this is what you got to do. Now, fast forward all the way to where Jesus was here on earth. And the gospel says this, that Jesus came and he dwelt among us. Actually, the word there is he tabernacled among us. I don't know how that's a verb, but it's a verb in the text. He dwelt among us, meaning he was God's presence embodied in Jesus. And the so often when we see the core of who, we see God's heart, it's when Jesus is sitting at a table. He's sitting at a table with a group of people. He's sitting at, across from a table with somebody, and we see God's heart. And so what we're learning here is our table, our four corners table here at our church, what does that look like? What does that look like? And so that's what this series has been on. It's my honor this morning, come on up here, babe. It's my honor this morning. My wife, Lindsay, is preaching the word and uh, bringing the heat. And um, so she's going she's gonna to speak this morning on, well, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on that one. So, um, but hey, would you do this? One of my favorite, my favorite person in the whole wide world, Lindsay, would you guys give her a big, huge hand clap and welcome her while she preaches this morning?
Thank you, thank you. Well, you can probably guess which one it is. There's only um, a couple left that he hasn't preached. So uh, you can be thinking, I'll, I'll let that cat out of the bag in a minute. But um, yeah, so we're talking tent to table. He had mentioned, Joel's mentioned over the past couple of weeks, he's like, you know, you can tell a lot about a family by sitting with them at the table. And I've heard from some of you, y'all were like, yeah, my, we didn't talk. Or, yeah, we were crazy. My family was full of, and still is full of, joking and stories and laughter and good food, which is why Joel fit right in, because he just jumped right in and sat at the table and started telling his jokes and, and all the good stories. Uh, no, but that's my family. And um, there was just me and my sister and my parents, um, but, but lack of number didn't matter. <laughs> we filled the space uh, with, with good fun. So uh, when I was about 19 years old, I decided to go on this ministry trip. Um, I believe we were in Florida, and we were doing some uh, ministry at schools as well as churches. And so I was super excited. We stayed at a family's house, a couple of us, spent the night, and the whole job of the, parent, of like the, the family was to get us up in the morning, feed us, and send us to wherever we were supposed to go. And so I remember um, me and my friend Jen had spent the night at this family's house. They were so kind, but we're teenage girls, so naturally it takes us like forever to get ready. So I remember that morning, that sweet family's like, we got to go, let's go, let's go. And so they're rushing us out of the door, and they open this box of Pop-Tarts, and they're like, Here, here's breakfast. And so I opened my little silver Pop-Tart, uh, bag, whatever that thing is, and I pull my Pop-Tart out, and then I go to hand the other one to my friend Jen, and she looks at me like I'm weird. She's like, I have one, and I'm like, well, I got my Pop-Tart, so, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, I don't, something's happening, and I don't know what's happening, and then I realize this family gave me the whole, both of them. I've never had two in my life, first of all. <laughs> First of all, my parents didn't buy, we, like, we didn't get Pop-Tarts. We rarely would we get a Pop-Tart. But when we did, it's me and my sister. So I got one and she got one, and it never occurred to me you could get two. So I call, I mean, y'all, I was shocked. I was like, what? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I told, I called my dad. I'm like, you will not. You have been holding out on me. I got two Pop-Tarts. And he laughed. He was like, I didn't know you could get more than one topping on a pizza until I was a freshman at Sanford University. He said, he said, I'm from a small town. You went to the pizza shop. You picked out your topping. Never knew. And he goes to college, and his friend orders Supreme. And he's like, I've never heard of that topping. And they brought it, and he's like, you know, like just in amazement. Have you ever been there where something never occurred to you and that does and you're just so shocked? I think that's how the disciples felt every time they sat down with Jesus at the table. Because think about it. They're so excited with, they're excited to be with him. Oh, let's go sit down and eat dinner. Oh, yeah, we know this. Let's, let's listen. And then he invites like a, a tax collector. And they're like, what is happening? Or he welcomes you know, a prostitute in, or he brings in a Pharisee, and they're like, what is going on? Jesus introduces this upside-down way of living. And so for three years, I think the disciples just lived in shock because nothing is the way that they had done it. Nothing is the way they had grown up learning. So Jesus 
arrives on the scene, arrives in the neighborhood. You know, God's presence had left for like 600 years. And so these people, these, the, Israel's been waiting on the Messiah, praying and waiting for him, looking for him. And Jesus comes. And you know he could have brought anything. He could have walked in with a big old army. That's what they probably assumed. He didn't come in with like this new weapon he created. What does he come in with? He comes in with an upside-down value system. And we know, we know a lot of those values. These are just new pictures to the kingdom. So you remember he says things like, the first shall be last, or love your enemy, or receive the kingdom like a child. You want to lead? Serve. You want to be the greatest? You want to really live? Go die to yourself. You want to be rich? Give all your stuff away. Give all your money away. Store up your treasure in heaven, not here on earth. And he had this radical, inclusive invite where anybody was welcome. He brought anybody in. That's an upside-down value system. And honestly, of all the things Jesus could have brought in, of all the things Israel was assuming the Messiah was going to bring in, he brings this. Why in the world? Why would he bring an upside-down value system? I think it's because you only bring that in if there's no other way that we're going to learn this. You know, these go to contrary, they go contrary to human nature because we're sinful. And so I'm pretty sure the point of an upside-down value system is to teach us something we would otherwise never learn. Um, Jesus also made sure we knew this is the way we're going to live. And if you don't adapt to this, then you're going to be led astray and you're going to look like everybody else in the world. You're not going to look any different. So his whole, this, this whole purpose in this upside-down way of living is to teach us to be outward-focused because it's so easy to be inward-focused. So I'm going to start by reading a passage in James, James chapter 2. I'm reading out of the Passion Version. My dear brothers and sisters, James is talking to the church, to people uh, that know Jesus. They're Christ followers. My dear Brothers and sisters, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you lead them saying, bye, hope you stay warm, have plenty to eat, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. That's pretty heavy. That was heavy when I read it. Now, we cannot work our way into heaven, and it's clear in Scripture. Ephesians even says it. Um, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not by, by things you can do, but that's not what James is implying in James chapter 2. That's not, that's not the point. He's teaching us this. Faith shows up by the way you live. Faith shows up by the way you live. People can see it. Following Jesus will change the way you do things. It's going to change the way you live, and it should. As we grow in the knowledge of Jesus, as we sink our, deep, our roots deep into the ground, into his soil, we're going to start changing the way we live. We're going to look more like him. And he was very clear. Jesus literally said, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross, and you're going to follow me. He didn't say, Let's go pack for vacation. It's going to be all sunshine. No, deny yourself, 
pick up your cross, follow me. Faith and action. Faith with no action, it says, is phony. It's dead. It's no good. And action with no faith, I, would, I guess, would be like humanitarian work, right? Just good things. But you couple faith and action, and that is Christian. That's Jesus, and that's what he's teaching us to do. So I have this manners book. This is a, a book my mother gave me back in, let's see, June of 2000, With Love, Mom. It's called Social Graces, <laughs> Manners, Conversation, and Charm for Today. My mom gave me this because I, if y'all know my mom, you, you know she gave that to me. That's very, very her. She, um, she knew I was moving to Florida to work a kid's camp. I was going to lead um, some young kids through an entire summer. I was living with a family in the church that uh, the church puts on the, the camp. And so they opened their home. And my mom's like, oh, I hope that I have taught her well. <laughs> so I am uh, 18 years old and moving down there. And she gives me this book. And I actually found it the other day. Um, and I looked. There's like. I studied it. I really did. I, I, I read every page. I studied this. Let me tell you why. I studied it because I didn't want to embarrass her. And I practiced it because I wanted to do what was right. Because I knew it was right. And so you can learn a lot about a family by the way they look at the table. In our church, the metaphor is the table. We are the four corners of the table, and we want to welcome people in to Jesus' table. And the truth is, God gave us a list of table manners, <laughs> and it's his word. It's the life of Jesus. It's how we're supposed to welcome people in and love them and serve them. Those are our table manners. So in the same way that I studied really hard to know which side of the plate to put the fork and <laughs> how to say what to say, we need to be dedicated to this upside-down way of living, to setting the table. I hope our table looks like Jesus's looked. Um, and it's going to take intention because it's so easy. If you're like me, it's so easy to get distracted. I get distracted. I get caught off guard. I get pulled here and there in my mind. You know, I'm from back in the day when we used to go to the store and buy film, you remember? And you'd put it in your camera. <laughs> And then you would take your, what, 30 pictures or however many you bought, 24. So <laughs> you'd buy your film, you put it in, you take your 24 pictures, and then you get back from whatever trip you're on, and you take it to CVS or to Walmart. You remember, and then you'd wait for like three days. Then you'd go pick it up, and then you got to see. You're like, oh, I'm reliving it. So awesome. And uh, you really, like it mattered what pictures you took. You didn't just blow your, just, oh, they go take pictures. It mattered. You only had 24, so you had to make these count. And then you had to pay for them on top of that. Now we have phones, and you can literally put your finger on a button and take 4,000 pictures of them burst in, in like that. And you know what's crazy? A lot of people, you can look at their camera roll, and it's full of pictures of themselves. You know what we didn't do? selfies. How many of y'all, you didn't take selfies? No, not back in the day because number one, I didn't want a picture of myself. Also, I didn't want to have to pay for a picture of myself. Maybe, maybe, hey, take my picture because you're in like front of this awesome landmark or something, but you didn't do this and like see how many angles. You shouldn't do it. And what's funny is um, 
when given the opportunity, we will so quickly become self-focused. It wasn't much of an opportunity to be self-focused when you had to pay for your film and wait all day. You, you were very, you, you cared what you took pictures of. But now, when it's as easy as holding something down, you can look at every picture you want. Isn't it amazing how quick we, we look back at ourselves? We take a thousand pictures of ourselves. It just doesn't have to do with pictures. But point being, um, it is easy to become self-focused, to, to be inward-focused. But Jesus said, we're going to live by a different set of principles. So the least of these being our responsibility, that's what we're going to talk about. It's what I want to unpack um, this morning, the least of these. And first thing we got to do is identify who are the least of these. So I want you to think, who, who would you think of as the least of these? It may be maybe a, someone who has no voice, someone who's weak or young, defenseless, helpless. Those are all correct. Probably whatever you thought of in your mind as the least of these, that's, that's correct. I've got a list I want you to look at. So I've just, I try to identify what, would, what we would look at as the least of these. You got sick and the suffering, medical diagnosis, handicapped, a child, someone young in age, an orphan, a widow, single parent, someone who suffers from mental illness, the poor, the jobless, spiritually immature, a reject or an outcast, bullied, addicted, abandoned, hopeless. How many of you can identify, you, you look at that and you go, I know somebody that fits that. I think, I think all of us do. In fact, all of us were on that list at some point in our life, every one of us. And some of you might be there now. You might currently be on that list. But the least of these, here's what I know, they have always existed and they will always exist. That's true. And Jesus always had his eye out for those kind of people. He always had his eye out for the, those that were marginalized, those who were easily taken advantage of, those who couldn't help themselves. And he teaches us by his life. When you read through the Gospels of Jesus' life, his life is an example of how to serve these people and love these people and welcome them in. It's constant. Every story you read is this upside-down value system, and he is constantly looking out for the least of these. So I do know this. We do great at extreme cases, but we oftentimes do very poorly day-to-day. We're good at throwing an event together and reaching the least of these, and it's like, charge. But then when the event's over, how hard is it? How hard is it every day to have eyes out for the least of these? So if we study Jesus' life and how he took care of the least of these, how's that going to look for us? How's that going to look for us? I, I looked through a bunch of stories. so hard to pick a couple of stories of Jesus' life because his life was so amazing. But I looked through some stories, and uh, I want to, to see what does it look like to love the least of these, to serve and be responsible for the least of these. I think first it looks like making space for the vulnerable. So the disciples, I'm going to take you into a story. The disciples have been with Jesus there are three of them have actually just witnessed the transfiguration where like 
Jesus in radiant glory is speaking to Elijah and Moses, and God comes down and is like, this is my son. And these three disciples find themselves face down on the ground. They're terrified. That's a memorable moment. <laughs> that's, like a real, that's a big deal. You've got all these disciples who've walked around with Jesus. He's healing people. He's delivering them from spirits. It even says they needed money to pay their taxes, and they go out. Jesus tells them, go catch a fish. They catch a fish, open the mouth, and there's money in it. Like, those are big deals. And somehow, right after that, you've got the disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, transfiguration, deliverance, healing, money in a fish's mouth. But really, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? That is so us, isn't it? We're like the disciples. We see all these awesome things God does, and then somehow we turn it right back around to us. Who's the greatest? So in Matthew chapter 18, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he, Jesus, called a little child to him and placed the child among him. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Well, that took a turn. I'm pretty sure that is not what they were anticipating. Who's the greatest? And Jesus is like, this child's the greatest. Children represented during this historical period when Scripture was being uh, lived and being written, they were bottom of the rung. In fact, they were not even they were considered not yet people. They were as low as it goes. And in fact, those children often faced life or death situations every day because Rome was creating so many orphans. So it is very likely that these orphans followed Jesus around in his ministry. And the fact that Jesus took one of them and put them in the center and said, here it is. That wasn't sweet. That was a game-changing statement that God made, that Jesus made. God was saying, hey, the whole, um, the agenda of the gospel story is sharpened by that one game-changing moment. He pulls a little kid in and he says, it's not, the kingdom of God is not just available for everybody, including the children. He's saying the kingdom is available to everyone and right here with a kid is where it's most seen. Jesus is saying way more than, let's bring a kid in. Y'all let him hang out with you. He's saying, if there's no little guy, there's no kingdom. If there's no little guy in your circle, there's no kingdom. That's adding value to people who can't add value to themselves. And so very often... Um, we prioritize the people that we will invest in or that we pull into the middle as uh, can they offer me something in return. I'll tell you this, when you decide to make space for, especially for children, 
But when you make space for the vulnerable, you will rarely receive a reward on earth. And I think anybody in here who's a teacher could, could say that's true. You go, to, you go to work every day. I doubt your little fourth grader's like, hey, English, awesome. You know, they're not saying that. Hey, thank you for investing in my future. I really appreciate that. They're, they're not seeing that. You rarely receive a reward on this side of heaven. But investing in the vulnerable, that's what Jesus did. He made game-changing statements by throwing the vulnerable right in the middle and saying, this is the kingdom. He presented, as you could tell with the end of that scripture, he presented a very clear, undeniable picture of how he felt about children. They're so important. If you don't have the vulnerable in your circle, you've missed it. So let's ask ourselves this. Who's in my circle? Am I making space for the vulnerable, for the least of these? Because that's what Jesus did. Another thing I've learned um, studying Jesus, he shows us that taking responsibility for the least of these also looks like seeking out the forgotten. Seeking out the forgotten. So it's Passover, and Jews from all around are flooding into Jerusalem. Okay, tons of people. The city is, is bustling. And in one section of the city, there's a pool. And uh, they called it, it had a, actually a bunch of names, but the Pool of Bethesda. And so this place is, um, the pool has like a bubbling spring. And so there's this pagan ritual that if you're sick or diseased or what you need healing, if you can get in there, as soon as it starts bubbling, the first person that gets in there gets healed. Okay, so naturally, this place is going to be full of blind and diseased and, uh, and just broken people. In fact, the city let it become that. This is, hey, y'all go over there. Y'all do your little ritual. Y'all do your little thing. And it's where basically they, they send people to die. I mean, that, that's what it was full of. And it's not a tourist attraction. Nobody goes there for the fun of it. They don't go walking through the pool of Bethesda. Nobody does that, especially not when Passover's happening. There's way bigger things to be doing. And then enter Jesus, okay? John chapter 5. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie down. Among them were those who were blind, those who couldn't walk, and those who couldn't hardly move. One person was there who had not been able to walk for 38 years, and Jesus saw him lying there. He knew that this man had been in that condition for a long time, so he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When an angel stirs the water, I try to get in, but someone else always goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man was healed right away. He picked up his mat, and he walked. So there's a sick man at this pool who's been paralyzed for 38 years. That is a long time. That's longer than half of you have been alive. <laughs> it's a long time. This man hadn't been able to walk. Jesus sees him, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Do you want to be well? And his response breaks my heart because it's almost like an excuse, and yet it's this cry, this desperate cry, nobody will help me. Of course I want to get well but I can't ever get in because everybody beats me to it. Nobody recognizes me. Nobody sees me. That's what he's saying. And Jesus, 
Even though he knows it's Sabbath and there's rules that he's not supposed to break, Jesus bypasses all those, and he looks at this man, and he offers him hope, and he heals him just like that. Just like that. Where is Jesus? Jesus is with the broken and the sick and the forgotten. I want you to get this picture. People have traveled from all over for Passover to meet God in the temple. And little do they know, God is over by the pool. God's not there. God's, God's over here with the forgotten people. What a, what a picture. They missed it. Jesus always has his eye out for the forgotten. In the upside-down value system, Jesus majors in stepping in when everybody else has stepped out. That's what he does. Many of you have that story yourself, your testimony. Jesus stepped in when everybody else had stepped out. People had seen this man, but only Jesus saw that man. Jesus saw him. Other people looked past him. It is so natural to avoid. It is just human nature to avoid, to get so busy that we don't see or we just don't have enough time to see. But it's actually our responsibility to seek these people out. Jesus even said it. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek and save. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, it's our job to seek the forgotten, to find them. Jesus went to the forgotten when everybody else was going to the temple. And his message is clear. The forgotten are way more important than all the little things we have to do, all of our tasks, all our well-earned privileges, all of our schedules. Jesus is way more important than that, and those people are way more important. So ask yourself, I'm asking myself, where is my pool of Bethesda? Where is it? Where am I seeking these people out? Am I seeking people that everybody else forgot? Because I think that's what Jesus would have us learn. Another way he shows us to show responsibility for the least of these, it looks like rescuing the helpless. Now, Jesus has been performing miracles, okay? Word spreading about him, and everybody knows this guy, is, he's doing stuff. He's, he's doing miracles. He's saving people. He's rescuing people. And um, so he's staying the night in Capernaum at a friend's house. And word gets around the city. And it actually says in Scripture, the whole town gathered at the door. <laughs> so everybody heard he's there, and everybody shows up. The city brought the sick and the oppressed to him, and there's no room outside or inside this house, okay? Then four people show up, and they're carrying a cot with a paralyzed man in it. Now, they're obviously late because they can't get in. Why are they late? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe that paralyzed man had some issue that morning that hindered him from even being ready. Maybe his friends had to finish work, finish their job, before they're able to even take him. Maybe they just heard that Jesus was in the town. Maybe somebody got sick and they had to find somebody else to come help them. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. All we know is this. They arrive to where Jesus is, and there's no way to get to him. There's a barrier. But what do those friends do? Those friends decide, well, we're going to get to him. We're just going to go up on the roof. And so they get this paralyzed man and bring him to the roof, which, think about that for a minute. This isn't now. This is not an elevator. 
They had to get a paralyzed man to the roof. And they did. They got him up there. And then these friends start digging and pulling a hole into the roof of this house. And they drop this man. Well, not drop him, but lower him. Sorry. They lower him down into, into the circle right where Jesus was. How bold and how desperate is that? Seriously. You've traveled a long way. You see Jesus is clearly busy with other stuff, and they're like, no, 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 this is important. We're going to do what we got to do. So Mark chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven, but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's a set of friends, isn't it? Those four people, that's a set of friends that we could all use. (laughs) They're sweaty and dirty. They're probably bleeding from ripping the roof off, from carrying somebody from who knows how, how far. That's a good set of friends. Jesus said he saw their faith and worked on behalf of their friend. He saw the faith of those four friends and decided, I'm going to work on that man's soul and then on his body. You know, most of us know Mother Teresa. She, was the, uh, she ministered to the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. India and she is the, um, she's so well-known, probably the most popular uh, nun of our lifetime, I would say. I mean, I I'm not super read up, but she's, she's kind of at the top. And, uh, but when you read about her life, she was an ordinary person in the beginning. She really was. There's nothing extra special about her. And uh, she started out just another person with faith and ended up just the greatest. But she wasn't without her critic. And um, I read a statement that someone had written <clears throat> about her. Um, said, why do so many people admire Mother Teresa? Bill and Melinda Gates have used their resources to provide far more aid and eliminated far more diseases than Mother Teresa. Why don't they receive more admiration than this so-called saint? Now, we all know nobody admires Mother Teresa for her efficiency and productivity. It's for her faith in action. That's why, people, that's why people admire her. Bill and Melinda Gates may bring better health to more people, and they may actually um, bring medical aid, better medical aid, but here's the truth. They don't risk anything. At the end of the day, their life remains virtually the same, whether they did all that or not. You know whose life did not remain the same? <laughs> Mother Teresa, she literally risked everything for these people. She gave her life, and this is why. She said, my work comes from a deeply held faith about the way God sees the world and how he wants it to be. She believed God thirsted for souls, and she gave everything to answer his call. That is faith in action. 
There was nothing on the front end of Mother Teresa's life that made her famous. But she had faith, and God took that. So in the upside-down value system, talent doesn't get the job done. Money doesn't get the job done. Faith gets the job done. God is not limited by your lack of talent or your, your lack of resource. He's only limited by your lack of faith. <laughs> the faith of those four people changed the course of that man's history. His entire life changed because those four people stepped in. There are people who need you to take them to Jesus. There are people who need me to take them to Jesus. Not somebody else, me. And there are people who need you. So let's ask ourselves, who am I cracking roofs open for? If Jesus said, the least of these are your responsibility, who am I cracking a roof open for? Think about it. Am I risking anything for the gospel? Am I? Are you? Just looking at those three stories, and there are so many more. But you look at those three stories, it makes it clear that this faith that Jesus has called us to, this isn't a Sunday morning faith, is it? <laughs> it's not. It's every day of the week faith. And you, you look at it and you realize that's expensive. It's an expensive faith that we have. You can't do it on the side. It will cost you everything. And it will be inconvenient. And that's something maybe I think we, a lot of us forget or ignore. <laughs> Following Jesus will cost you everything, and it will be inconvenient many times. One author said it so perfectly that I'm not going to try and recreate it. I'm just going to read it <laughs> to you. Um, but he said, Jesus warns us away from a romantic view of following him. He understands that when we volunteer to go anywhere at any time, our romanticism will wither when our commitment becomes inconvenient or when it collides with the full cost of discipleship. Discipleship means we give up any thought that there will be bits and pieces of our lives that can remain unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. We can't say yes to Jesus and expect to hold on to a portion of our independence. He demands it all. So, this way of life will cost us everything. Matthew 25, I want to end with this, uh, just this little portion. Matthew 25 says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous said, Lord, when in the world do we see you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? When did you, we see you as a stranger and invite you in or you needing clothes and we clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And he replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So what's really happening here? When Jesus introduces this upside-down value system and asks us to live outward focused, 
oftentimes inconvenienced and completely emptied out. <laughs> where is he? Where's Jesus? I'll tell you where he is. He's that little kid that you bring in. Or he's the, the forgotten person over by the pool that nobody wants to pay attention to because there's way more to do. And he's the friend who can't get to Jesus if, if you don't step in. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus said. When you do that for them, you do that for me. We don't have to go to Calcutta to find those people. We don't have to do it. They're here. And it will require us to, to make some space, to provide some space, to seek out the forgotten and get scrapes and bruises for the helpless. Joel and I were um, pastors at Kingwood down in Birmingham for about 13 years, family ministry pastors. And we did not accept that job to get thank yous because you don't. You don't, and it's okay. We never expected that. But, you know, you're in every service. You're with these kids in the mornings, in the evenings, you know, during the week, and you're loving them and you're serving them. Some of you have done this, and you do it because that's what Jesus wants you to do, and you know it's an investment that you're going to see on the other side of, of heaven. But I remember after... 13 years, we decided we're going to move up here and plant this church. And our pastor wanted to send us off well. And Joel preached our, our last day in Alabaster. We literally got in the car after church and drove here. And um, <clears throat> he said, uh, I want to send you guys off. And he stood us in the front and he said, we want to pray for you, which we wanted. <laughs> we wanted that. But then he had done something we didn't know he was doing. And he called, he said, if anybody's been under Joel and Lindsay's ministry over the last 13 years, I want you to come up here and lay hands on them. I didn't know that they had told people about that. And um, all these people start coming. It, it blows your mind because you do it so long and you're just like, I don't know. There's a lot of people. But then you see them. You see these faces that some of them you invested in when they're little. Now they're 20, you know. And I'll tell you this, I only saw a glimpse. It was this much, but I experienced a glimpse of the reward of serving the least of these. It was that quick. But y'all, that's all I needed. I looked and I said, is this, this is what you, this was you. This is Jesus. I'll do it the rest of my life. You may wonder sometimes, where's Jesus? I've been praying, can't hear him, can't feel him. I don't even know if he cares about me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. Go seek out somebody who's forgotten. Go rescue somebody that's helpless or go find a child to invest in. And I promise you, you will find Jesus there. Because he said, do that in my name. You're doing it to me. That's where Jesus is. I want us as a church to pr practice our table manners. Because we're setting a table for our city. And we have to look different than the world. We have to. We have to. And that's going to require on our end. We're responsible for that. We're responsible to widen our circle and, and let people in. We're responsible to seek, to look, and to seek and find 
the forgotten and we're responsible to bring people to Jesus who would otherwise never make it there. Will y'all do me a favor and just close your eyes for a moment. I want to just reflect on Jesus' life and on ours. If Jesus introduced an upside-down value system, there's a reason. These aren't ways of life that are going to come natural. They require a change of heart. That's the beauty of it. That's God at work. Maybe this morning you realize you hold deeply to your faith, but you've not put much action in it. Your circle is missing the vulnerable. Or maybe you recognize that you hadn't taken time to seek out the forgotten. Maybe it's just that your faith hadn't required anything of you. If you'd say, Lindsay, that's me. I, sh- I, need a- I need to start taking responsibility for the people Jesus did. I want to be a part of setting the table for the city. Will you pray for God to change my heart so I'm op- outward focused every day? If that's you, we just let me know real quick. Just put your hand up. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Father, you know each of us here this morning who've recognized that we are so responsible for the least of these, but we need a heart change. It's our desire to follow you, but that's going to require something of us. God, for those who need to widen their circle, I ask you, bring the vulnerable to them. Let them see them. Grant us eyes to see people, to really see those who are forgotten. Give us courage, God, to take risks, to rescue our friends. Remind us that it's our faith that brings change. It's not our talent. It's not our resources. It's our faith in action. Father, we partner with you today. Jesus, we want to reach the least of these in Huntsville. We do. It's our heart. So change our heart. May our church study and practice the table manners you've outlined in your word. And may we have a table that looks like yours, Jesus. Help us live differently today, God. Help us see differently today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, babe. I've uh, decided from here on out, um, Lindsay's just going to preach every week. And uh, you know, Hey, uh, if, if you're here this morning, if you're new, if this is your first time, uh, maybe first time in a while, uh, in your bulletin, in your seat, there's a uh, connection card. And so this is our way of just knowing that you're here and really knowing any needs uh, that you may have or any prayer needs that you may have in our church. So on the front side with some information, you can mark if this is your first time here. On the other side, there's a, a section where you can write, uh, it's just called Ask God, Thank God. So we in gratitude, we thank God for what he's done. And then in uh, prayer, if you need a prayer request. So we pray over these, our prayer team and our church prays over those. And so I want to encourage you to fill that out. Um, when you're done doing that, you can either uh, leave it in the seat when, when we come around and get those, our team will, uh, or there's a silver bucket right outside this, uh, our wall slash curtain. And uh, you can put it in that. Uh, for those of you that call Four Corners Church home, I want to thank you for giving. I want to thank you for your gifts to the church. Um, It's because of you and your faithfulness. 
in your generosity and your recognition for what God wants to do here in this city, that we're able to be in the space, that we're able to have a church, that we're able to move forward. And I want to thank you for doing that. Um, there are a few ways that you can give if you're looking to continue or if you want to, or if you want to begin. Uh, you can text. There's online giving. Uh, there's also, you could even text, uh, 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 do a, a, a text gift. And then, of course, you can do cash or check in an envelope, which is uh, in your bulletin. Those also you can put in the silver bucket in the back. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray over uh, the offering this morning, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, what a, what a gift you are. What a gift you've already given to us. God, everything that we have, it comes from you. And so in return, God, we turn it back toward and, and give it back to you. God, we pray that you would take our gifts that we have, the stuff we think is so awesome and the stuff that we recognize just isn't much. It doesn't require much. You don't, you don't require much, God, to turn into a miracle, but it does require our best. And so out of a sacrifice, and out of our best, God, we give to you, trusting to know that you in turn will bless it and multiply it. Do that with those gifts this morning with um, in our church and also with our people that are in here. God, I pray a blessing over them everywhere that they go this week as they uh, walk out of the building, into the uh, uh, street, into their car, as they go to work, as they sit at their own table, whatever that table expression looks like where they are, whether it's filled with people or they're by themselves. God, may they experience your presence in a renewed way like they never have before. Open their eyes to the helpless and the hopeless and the least of these. And may you grace our church with the gift of seeing the vulnerable and the gift of being able to, of your presence and being able to minister to them. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, those of you that have signed up or that want to attend Next Steps this morning, we'll crank up right outside on the other side of that wall. There's a room over there with a, um, a sign, Next Steps banner, and you can do that. We want to invite you to that. Hey, love you guys. Be blessed. Uh, we'll see you uh, next week.